Amen. Thank you so much for that ministry to us in song choir. Genesis chapter 14 this morning, please. Genesis chapter 14. Doug Ergot works with a missions organization that focuses on Africa. And as a result, he spends a lot of time there and meets some very interesting African people. And on one of his journeys into a rather remote part of Africa, Doug met a tribal chief. And uh, this tribal chief had not yet been exposed to much of our uh, modern culture. Um, So on this particular trip, they had along a professional uh, bodybuilder. You know, a professional bodybuilder, you know, one of these tough, muscular uh, men. And uh, Doug told about a humorous uh, interchange that went on between the tribal chief and this professional bodybuilder. Let me let me give it to you. The chief, after staring for a while at all those well-developed physique of this bodybuilder, said, what do you do with all those muscles? Bodybuilder, a little taken back by the question. What do I do with these muscles? Chief, yes, what do you do with all those muscles? Bodybuilder. Well, I pose. Chief, you pose? Bodybuilder, yes, that's right, I pose. Now think about that for a moment. At this point, Doug inserted his own commentary. He said, that's the American church. We have all the wealth, all these muscles, and yet all we do is pose. And he added these words. After thinking about it, I would narrow Doug's statement. Will Davis Jr. is saying this. He's the one was telling the story about Doug. After thinking about it, I would narrow Doug's statement a bit. That's the typical American Christian. Most of us have so much wealth, so much muscle, so much kingdom potential, and all most of us really do is pose. We look impressive. We clean up nicely and maybe even serve or give some money now and then. But when you look at our potential, when you look at the possible kingdom muscle that God has given to us, we're really just play acting. We're posing. And for that, we're going to have to answer to God. Beloved Christian, can I say to you today, it's not enough to just pose. We're to be making progress on this journey of faith that we're on as we're traveling along this journey of faith. And if we're going to make progress, we've got to do more than just pose. We've got to do more than just clean up and look good and and, and put on a show. We've got to do more than just play act. Right now, we're studying the life of Abraham. Now, at this point in his life, he's still known as Abram and his wife. We know her better as Sarah, but at this point, she's known as Sarai. So Abram and Sarai, we're following their journey of faith. And we're learning as we've studied just a couple of uh, uh, sermons so far that the journey of faith is not always easy. Uh, In fact, it's filled with many obstacles. And today's passage is no exception. Abram's going to face two great battles. He's going to face a battle without and a battle within. To put it another way, he's going to face a literal battle, a physical battle, and he's going to face a spiritual battle. That's been wisely noted that conflict reveals character. Conflict reveals character. And as we view the struggles that Abram's going to face, we're going to see a glimpse of his character, a picture of what our character should be as well. So let's jump right in. Uh, Genesis chapter 14. I've got my work cut out for me today because there's some challenging words here and some challenging names. But we'll we'll get through together. And uh, you remember what's going on. Lot, his nephew Lot has left. 
And Abram's there. And we find in Genesis chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, these words. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of uh, Eleazar, Kedar Lamir, king of Eliam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they may war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shanab, king of Adma, uh, Shem-Eber, uh, king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. All these joined together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served uh, Ketelamir, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year of Ketelamir, and the kings that were with him came and attacked Rephaim uh, in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, Emmon and Shava, Kerathaim, and the Horites in their mountain seer as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to M. Mishpeth, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in uh, Hazazon, Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and joined together in the battle in the valley of Siddim against Ketelamir, king of Elam, title king of nations, uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. We all can go, got through those. Now, verse 10. Now, the valley of Siddam was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and some fell there, and the remainder fled into the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Now, this chapter 14 is full of a lot of firsts. And this is the first war that we find recorded in Scripture. And in this first war recorded in Scripture, we find that Lot, Abram's nephew, is carried away. And so far, Abram's not even in the story. Uh, he's not even a part of this plot, really. But that's about to change. Now, notice verse 13. So we know what's going on. A lot's been carried off in this great war going on between these kings. Verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. First time you read the word Hebrew there in the Bible. For he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and brother of Anor. And they were allies with Abram. Now, this is a test for Abram for sure. Because he's just received news that his nephew Lot has been taken away captive. He's been taken away by those who had conquered uh, Sodom. And there's a question now. What's Abram going to do? You remember how Abram was treated by Lot? If you back up into chapter 13, verse 10 and 11, you read it says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like in the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Remember, Abram said, Lot, you choose. You take the land you want, and I'll go the other direction. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and very selfishly, very greedily, just chose the best for himself, or at least what he thought was the best. Of course, if you've read the rest of the story, you know better. But what is Abram going to do now? 
He gets the news that Lot's in trouble. He gets the news that Lot's been carried off. And would he simply say, well, Lot made his bed, let him lie in it. Would he say, oh, that's so bad, poor Lot, oh well. Would he just ignore the news and say, well, I'm going to add Lot to my prayer list. By the way, I think Lot was already on his prayer list. But I'm just going to put an extra star by Lot's name and pray extra hard for Lot because of this mess he's got himself into. No, Abram acted in a godly way. And it reminds us, beloved, that our faith should lead us to be a people characterized by compassion. Our faith should lead us to be people of compassion. Lot had gotten in with the wrong crowd. Lot had gotten himself in trouble. He's suffering the consequences of that. But Abram didn't just wash his hands of Lot and say, oh, well, you know, Lord help Lot. No, look at what he does in verse 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, but this is his nephew. This is his brother's son. He armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, this is something amazing. We find that Abram had some trained servants, 318, whom he armed. And by the way, that's a real good hint and a real good insight of just how wealthy Abram really was. 318 trained servants born in his own house. Doesn't mention the ones that are not trained or not going. Those will be left behind. Abram's a very wealthy man. And he's taking the time to train these servants and arm them. And they're going to go out. And we know from reading later, it wasn't just Abram and his 318. They had some allies with them. We read about his allies there in verse 13. He had uh, uh, Amorite, the brother of Eschol, the brother of Anor, and they were allies with Abram. Uh, Drop down to verse 24. It says in the end of that, who went with me, Anor, Eschol, and Mamre. So we have these allies, and they set out in hot pursuit to get Lot back. Now, you know what? Abram could have spent a lot of time rationalizing why he should not go. I mean, here he is, he's got a large household, he's got all these things to take care of, all these servants, all these uh, business ventures, all this going on, but he didn't. And beloved, it reminds us, we have a choice to make in this world as well. We can, as believers, as children of God, those of us who know Jesus Christ, we can choose to ignore the broken people around us. We can choose to look around and say, well, they've made their bed, let them lie in it. We can choose to busy ourselves with other things and keep them out of our mind, out of our sight. We can spend all of our time coming up with the reasons why we shouldn't help. Or we can roll up our sleeves, get our hands dirty and show the love of God and share the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to people who are broken and broken and hurting all around us. We should, as believers, be people of compassion. Abram shows us that he was compassionate. He went after him. He sought to help. Secondly, though. Our faith should lead us to be people characterized by courage. We should have courage. Now, remember, this is not a Sunday school picnic Abram's going on. This is not a vacation. He's going out to war. He's going out to battle. Look at verse 15. He divided his forces against them by night. And he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Have ever been to Hobah? Anyway, uh, verse 16. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as, watch this, as well as the women 
and the people. He didn't just go get Lot and just bring Lot back. He went and got the people back. He got their goods back. He got all the stuff back. And he showed real courage. You know, when you think about Abraham, it reminds you of a proverb. Proverbs 28.1 says this. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know, it's obvious as we continue studying the passage that Abram didn't go forth in his own strength. It wasn't he was some kind of super warrior or Rambo or whatever. It's obvious he went forward not in his own strength to conquer these enemies. He went forth in the strength of the Lord. He went forward in the strength of his God. And if we're going to make a difference in our world for Jesus Christ, listen, if we're going to make a difference, we've got to go forth not in our own strength, but in Christ's strength. We've got, we got to step out of our comfort zone and we've got to do some things that maybe stretch us and, and, and cause some spiritual courage on our part. You know, that mission trip we took the other summer to West Virginia, it was interesting to watch how people are forced to step out of their comfort zone. And how God enables and God strengthens. And so we step out in faith and we step out in godly courage looking to the Lord. And this is a great battle and a great victory. The victory, I mean, it's it's an awesome victory. But it was a physical battle. It was a battle without. And Abram's victorious, but the battle is not done. You see, they're headed back with the spoils. They're headed back with the people. And I'm reminded of a quote that I jotted down many years ago from Andrew Bonar. Andrew Bonar said this, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. You see, the battle's not over for Abram. Yes, the physical battle may be over, but he's about to face a battle within. He's about to face a spiritual battle because on his way home, he's going to encounter two different kings. We'll read about them in just a second. He's going to encounter the king of Sodom, Bera. And he's going to encounter the king of Salem, which is the king of then Jerusalem, Melchizedek. And by the way, before we read about him, king of Salem and king of Sodom, Bera and Melchizedek are as different as night and day. And these two kings, what they stood for, are as different as night and day. Let's jump in and read what it says about uh, this meeting. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom... That is Bera went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba. That is the king's valley after his return from the defeat of Ketelamir and the kings who were with him. Remember in that battle, previous battle, they had escaped. And so now they're coming back to meet Abram, the victorious one, as he comes back with the people, as he comes back with Lot and Sodom, the king of Sodom goes out to meet him. But it's interesting, before the king of Sodom can speak and put forth his proposition, another king comes out, the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem. And he comes out and he meets Abram and he offers him some refreshment and he offers him a blessing. And we can't camp here long, but let me just say this. Melchizedek is a character that you can't just read about and pass over. Very important person in the scripture. He's not just mentioned here in Genesis. You know, he he walks out on the page of scripture here in Genesis 14. But it's not the last time we read about him. We read about him in Psalm 110. We read about him in Hebrews chapters 5 through 7. 
And I'll be honest with you, the study of Melchizedek is a totally separate study for a totally different day. But we're going to look just a little bit at him. Look at what it says there in uh, verse 18. Then, so the king of Sodom's come out to meet him. Then, verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him. And said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now, you want to put your finger there and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And again, Melchizedek is a character that is well worth the time to study. We'll talk a little bit about who he was, or who we think he was, in just a moment. But let's read what the Bible says about Melchizedek and get a little background information. Hebrews chapter 7. We'll begin reading at verse 1 and it's talking about this meeting in Hebrews chapter 7. And in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1, we read these words. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated... Watch this, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Now notice what it says about verse 3. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Verse 4, Hebrews 7. Now consider how great this man was. Talking about Melchizedek. To whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them, receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom is witness what he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, pays tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, stop for a moment. Let me have your attention. Do you notice what it said about Melchizedek? His titles, his name is the king, listen, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He's the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, without father, without mother, without genealogy. He just steps out on the page of scripture in Genesis 14. Now, who was Melchizedek? Well, some believe that Melchizedek, by the way, do you notice he was a priest and a king? He was a king priest. Who was he? Well, some believe he was actually Noah's son, Shem. They say, well, that's who it was. Some say, no, Melchizedek, he was simply the king of Jerusalem. And then others say, no, wait a minute. We believe that what we have here is a Christophany or theophany. That is a pre-incarnate appearance Of Jesus Christ himself, who has no genealogy without mother, without father, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, 
like the Son of God, remaining a priest continually. The king priest. And so some believe that Melchizedek is literally a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes and ministers to Abraham. And did you notice what he gave him when he came out and ministered to him? It says that he presented refreshments to him, right? It's very significant. Go back to Genesis again. Chapter 14. And it says in verse... 18, chapter 14. You know, the king of Sodom's coming out. But it says, then Melchizedek. Before the king of Sodom can say a word, Melchizedek comes out, verse 18, and brought out bread and wine. Christian, when you think about bread and wine, I would assume automatically something comes to mind. A picture... Of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Communion. The Lord's Supper. Now, of course, Abram would be looking toward and forward. We look back at the cross. And so you say, well, preacher, is this the Lord Jesus? I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But boy, boy, as I, the more I study it, the more it seems to fit in there. But we see a picture of the Lord. And then it says, now, not only gives him the refreshment, he also gives them a blessing. And notice the blessing that he says in verse 19 of Genesis 14. And he blessed. And remember, this is, this is Abraham, the patriarch, Father Abraham. And, and here is this one. And Abraham comes and he receives the refreshments. He receives the blessing. And it says in verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And then we notice the response of Abraham. Did you notice what it was? It says next, and he gave him a tithe of all. He gave him a tenth of all. And it says again in Hebrews chapter 7, he gave a tenth of all. Which reminds us that our faith should lead us to be a people characterized by commitment. Now, I'm going to make you real uncomfortable, some of you, real quick. We'll talk about the tithe for a moment. Talk about a tithe as a tenth. And sometimes we talk about the tithe, people say, oh, legalism. They say, oh, that, that was the law. We're not under law, we're under grace. Praise the Lord, we are. But listen. Do you notice where we are in the scripture? The law has not yet been given. Abram's not living under the law. This is well before the law is ever given. And yet we find Abram here is practicing tithing. He's giving a tithe. He's giving a tenth to the king priest, the priest of the most high God. Abram was committed to God and committed to the work of God. And he gave a tithe that says in verse 20, he gave him a tithe of all. Now, tithe is 10 percent. No answer out loud, but I want you to think about this question. Do you tithe? Do you tithe? Do you cheerfully honor the Lord with the first part of your increase? Do you give realizing that it is an act of worship? We talked about giving this morning in Sunday school, giving and praying and fasting. And, and the idea, beloved, is, is, is it's an act of worship. It's a, an acknowledgement of our dependence upon the Lord. Now, now, some might be sitting there, maybe you're not tithing. And you're thinking, well, preacher, I can't afford to tithe. Let me just say this, you've got it wrong. 
Beloved, you can't afford not to tithe. You know, nobody says amen. You notice that? Are any tithers out there? You've seen God bless you? It's amazing how God works when you begin to honor Him. God can take nine-tenths and make it go a lot longer, a lot further than you can with the ten-tenths. Did you know that? God, will, God can do amazing things. The way He does math is amazing. How He takes us. You honor Him and say, Lord, You're first in my life. You're first in my family. You're first in my finances. You're first in everything. I give You first. And God honors that and God provides and God does some awesome things. You see, tithing is the starting point of our giving. And here, Abram, way back before the law was ever given, he gives a tithe to the priest of God. And what happens here is tithing is the starting point of our giving. And you notice we have it typed in the bulletin, tithes and offerings. You see, the offering is above the tithe. And as God begins to bless, and you know, and I say it's the starting point, you know why? Because sometimes people just say, I only tithe. No. As God blesses and God guides, we give above and beyond the tithe. Abram was committed. He was committed. And our faith should make us committed. Are you committed to God and His work? Are you committed to what God's doing through this local church? I try to remind you often, listen, when you give here, it all doesn't stay here. We're touching the world with the gospel. And tithing is such an awesome thing because no matter where you are on the financial scale, that 10%. So if you make a dollar, it's 10 cents. And I would encourage you to teach your children and your family about giving and tithing and all those things. And so we find that Abram, he tithes here long before the law. He's a man of commitment, but also we notice he's a man of conviction. And our faith should lead us to be a people characterized by conviction. Because now that he's there and the king of Salem, possibly the Lord Jesus himself has ministered to him, provided refreshment to him, blessed him, reminded him of the most high God. Did you notice it says possessor of heaven and earth? Then we find that the king of Sodom slips in. Slides in like an old snake, if you will, because it says in verse 21. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, you know, this is Bera here. Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. You take the stuff. I want the people. You know, as I read that, beloved. I couldn't help. That sounds a lot like Satan, doesn't it? Give me the souls. You keep the stuff. You keep the toys. You keep the trinkets. You keep all that stuff. I want the souls. Now, stop for a moment. When you consider what Sodom was like, and we haven't gotten all the way to that point yet, but if you haven't heard the story, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah so much that it was so wicked, so evil, he rained down fire and destroyed them. When you think about how wicked... Sodom was. Can you imagine what their king was like and what the ruler was like, Bera? And he comes in and says, Abram, you take the stuff, I'll take the people. Which, by the way, it was all Abram's, really. He was the victorious conqueror. The stuff was his, the spoils were his. But, but Sodom, the king of Sodom comes out and says, listen, you take the stuff, I'll take the people. That, that's my deal for you there. Now, I want you to notice how much of a man of conviction 
Abram was. I want you to notice what he says to Bera, king of Sodom. Verse number 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. Doesn't that sound real familiar? Didn't you just read that in the blessing that the king of Salem gave Melchizedek? And and Abram now says to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, from a thread to a shoestring. I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten. But they've already eaten. And the portion of the men who went with me, Anar, Eschol, Mamre, let them take their portion. But I'm not taking anything. I'm not taking a thread, Vera. I'm not taking a sandal strap. I'm not taking a shoelace from you. In no way is Abram going to line himself with Sodom. It was David who said, and it's well worth remembering, the gifts of the ungodly are often attached to deadly strings. The gifts of the ungodly are often attached to deadly strings. See, this was a beloved. This was a ba- this was a battle, beloved. See, the, the spoils and all these people. It really, Abram had the right. Imagine how much more wealthy he could be if he kept all the people, all the stuff, and, and built up his own kingdom and served as king. Abram and Queen Sarai. He says, listen. I'm not taking anything. You see, Abram realized the true victor was not Abram. And it was not Abram's servants. And it was not his allies. The true victor was God himself. The God most high possessor of heaven and earth. And it's obvious that Abram kept his eyes on God most high. Possessor of heaven and earth. And it reminds us that our faith should lead us to be a people characterized by contentment. Contentment. Abram was content to have whatever God wanted him to have. He was content to have whatever God, possessor uh, most high of heaven and earth, wanted him to have. He didn't deny his allies their part. He gave a tithe of all through God's priest Melchizedek, but he take nothing for himself because he was walking by faith and not by sight. He was a lot like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. When you read Paul's story, it's an amazing journey of faith. From being the persecutor of the church Saul to being the great Apostle Paul. Paul would say this. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. It's interesting that Paul says, I've learned. These lessons. We have to learn those lessons as well. We don't just wake up and say, oh, I'm content. No, we learn those as God works in us and God deals with us. 
Let me give you something else from I found interesting in Will Davis's uh, Jr.'s book there enough. I was quoting from the beginning of the message. He said, we worry about retirement and our kids future. But the Bible reminds us that our hope has never been in what we can produce in our jobs, our bank accounts, our retirement funds, Wall Street or the government. Our hope, future and promise are all in God. That's how you know you have enough because whatever God has, you have. He went on to say, content people don't want more. And the moment you decide you have enough at that moment and the moment you determine that you're not pursuing anything else, you're rich. You want to be rich today? Learn to be content. I've got enough. Abram's faced there with the decision of battle. He decided that he would trust God and be content. Why? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us by faith, Abram, Abraham obeyed when he called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Listen, verse 10, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose maker and builder is God. Abram, yes, was wealthy, wealthy, but his heart wasn't there. His desire, his longing was not just upon some land here. It was upon that city, that city above. Which has foundations, whose maker and builder is God. You see, Abram faced a battle without. A real battle. But he also faced a battle within. And praise be to the Lord, he was a victor in both of those battles. Why? Because he realized who he was and what he had in God. Now, how does this relate to us today? Christian, do you realize who you are and what you have in Jesus Christ? Do you really realize that? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Do you realize who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ? You see, our lives, our journey of faith should be characterized by compassion, courage, commitment, conviction, and contentment. See, the battles are real, but don't misunderstand. Our battles are not fought with guns and knives and swords and grenades. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity or every thought to captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, we're not using guns and grenades and swords and weapons in these spiritual battles that we face. Now, listen to what Ephesians chapter six says. It says, finally, my brethren. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having to done all to stand. The battle for the Christian, the battle for the believer is real. We don't go forward in our own might, our own strength. We go forward in his strength and his might, putting on the armor he's given to us and stepping out in faith with the word of God in prayer. We go out to face the principalities and powers and evilness that is real in our world. Abram is a picture, beloved, of what we should be like on our journey of faith. Our faith should lead us to be people of compassion for the broken and hurting people around us. People of courage to step out of our comfort zone in Christ's strength. People of commitment that I'm going to be for God in His work and I'm going to give and go and work. Also people of conviction. I'm not aligning with those who are evil and wicked. I want to stand for Christ and His righteousness. And finally, a people who are content. Realizing the world is not my home. I'm a pilgrim passing through. See, he was really wealthy, but you know what? He lived in a tent. He was a pilgrim. He was a stranger. He realized this world is not all there is. We're not home either, beloved. Our home is in heaven. Battles without, battles within. Praise the Lord. Abram was victorious in both of these battles. Now, what about us? What about our battles? Let's go forth in Christ and his strength. Father, we thank you. For Abram, we thank you that the more we study him, the more we realize, yeah, he's like us. He was flesh and blood and bone and he faced the battles, many of them like we face. Same struggles and problems and and many of them even greater than what we face. Thank you for his victory here, not in his strength, but yours. Father, help us to know truly who we are in Christ. I I want to know that, Father. And help us to really know what we have in Christ. And and help us to realize and open our eyes that there is a real spiritual battle raging. And that we're to take the whole armor of God and step out in faith, in Christ's strength, and battle. Father, I pray today as we have this invitation time, if anybody here has never entered this battle, maybe they've never received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray today, be the day they turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ. And I pray for Christians, maybe today, who are really struggling and really battling. They might come and find refreshment and blessing as they come and kneel here today. And just as the king of Salem, Melchizedek, ministered to them, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them today and encourage them. Bless this invitation. Use it for your honor and your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is number 290. I am thine, O Lord. Heard thy voice. Told thy love to me. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Maybe today you need to be saved. You don't know Christ. Come today. Let us share the gospel with you.
Maybe you're battling today. Would you come today? Maybe kneel and pray for strength and grace and help in this time of need. The altar's open as we stand and sing 290, I am thine, O Lord. 290, let's stand and sing.